Well, listen, I am pleased to tell you that tonight we're continuing our uh, series, Super Duper Bible Verses, and the uh, verses uh, suggested for us tonight were submitted by one of my most favorite people, and if you know her, she's yours too, Stella Walsh. Stella cannot be with us, but she is with us. She watches every Wednesday night and on Sundays, and I want to read to you what Stella said. She said, I have many passages of scripture that I love, but Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 has a special place in my heart. More than 38 years ago, I heard for the first time that salvation is a gift. It still boggles my mind. I was trying so hard to earn heaven. That's what Stella said. God bless you, Stella. We hope you're watching today, and nice to see you. You look wonderful. I hope we do as well. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. First, let me ask you a rhetorical question. Are you doing anything to earn your place in heaven? What are you doing? What are you depending on for it? Many would say, well, I'm doing the best I can to live a good life. Or I go to church, or I, I try to help people whenever I can, or I, uh, I'm a good person, or I, I don't hurt anybody, or I try to live by the golden rule. None of those are good answers to the question, how could we gain entrance into heaven? And so Stella's verses... Uh, which we will look at closely here in the next few minutes, make it clear that all of those are absolutely uh, the wrong answers. Here, in fact, is what God's Word says about being saved eternally. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. Why not? Well, so that no one may boast. Now, this begs the question. It's talking about being saved. But here's the question. Do we really need to be saved? Is that really our problem? Are we really that bad? Well, I would like to let Paul, who wrote Ephesians, answer that question. Are we really that bad? This he does in the first three verses of this very chapter, Ephesians 2. I'll read it to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Let me just summarize what Paul said. Yeah, you need to be saved. Yeah, you really are that bad. In fact, you're dead in your sins. You're walking in it. You're the walking dead. You are, in God's eyes, children of wrath. We are all, point 
Paul uh, pointed out quite clearly, dead in our trespasses and sins. And so I ask you, if we're spiritually dead, that's what it means here, what in the world can a dead person do on his behalf? Folks, when you're dead, you're dead. The last time I checked, a dead person can't do anything with regard to his or her well-being or welfare. A spiritually dead person has no means of access to Almighty God whatsoever. But then we read in verse 4 of this chapter two words that really change everything. It's these two words, but God. In fact, I'll read to you the totality of Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. We have this first reality. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but hold on. That's not the final word, but God. But God what? Well, let's take a look at it here. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God being not just merciful, rich, overflowing, rich in mercy. Uh, why? Well, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. Even then, uh, here's what he did. He made us alive. Dead people need to be made alive. That's what he did. Spiritually dead people need to be resuscitated. That's what he did. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, the text says, you have been saved. Well, that's a pretty clear statement with regard to the way of salvation. It has nothing to do with anything we do or do not do, but by God's mercy and grace. Those are the words that ring out quite clearly in this text. But, but, but God's mercy and grace, if, if you are honest, are so foreign to our way of thinking, so counterintuitive, that uh, for Paul to state it just once won't get it done. Therefore, Paul, knowing this, and under inspiration, expands upon what he just said here in these two verses by offering for us Stella's verses. Those are 8 and 9. And here's how they begin. For by grace you have been saved. So I ask the question, do you, when you read the Bible, do you ask questions of it? That's a good way to slow down. Just ask. So I asked the question. It said, by grace you have been saved. Uh, the question I would like to have answered is this. Saved from what? Well, here's the answer. From God's wrath. Previously, we read what our nature is. You are children of wrath. That's what it says. All of us. Uh, therefore, when it says we've been saved, that's what we've been saved from. From the outpouring of God's legitimate justifiable wrath upon us. That's what we've been saved from. And so, if we are saved by God's grace, uh, you are saved from God's wrath. So, you can know from this point on, that's what salvation is. If you are saved by God's grace, you are saved from uh, God's wrath. And furthermore, if you are saved from God's wrath, it is all because of God's grace. There it is. Folks, that's, that's the biblical message. That's the gospel message right there. Now, this is made pretty clear in these verses. For by grace, you have been saved. Now, you see that word saved? This is not a Greek class, so, so forgive me this. But you have to know this. That word saved is in the Greek perfect tense. 
not perfect in the sense in which we think. You know, we have past, present, and future. Well, in Greek, they have a bunch of other stuff. One of the tenses for verbs in Greek is the perfect tense. And whenever I see a perfect tense when I study, I get really, really excited. Those are the most meaningful tenses. I'll tell you why. The perfect tense means something happened in the past. It's an event that occurred. But the uh, uh, results or ramifications of that event, that one-time event, continue on into the future. So, so if it's a perfect tense, it's speaking about something that took place, but that's not over. It's talking about something that took place at a point in time in the past, but it has enduring results. The word saved is in that tense here. It's the perfect tense. What does this mean? It means eternal security for those who have been saved. It means if you have been saved by Jesus at what at one point in the past in your life, when you accepted him as Savior, it means that one-time decision, that one-time event, has enduring results into the present and into eternity future. Just that Greek verb tense is a basis for eternal security. It represents the permanence of salvation. The next time you who are saved doubt your salvation, thinking that your sin is greater than his grace, could you please remember that that word saved is in the perfect tense in the Greek. It doesn't end. It keeps going on. In other words, folks, we have been saved by God's grace. At some point in the past. And what's more, we are being saved also by God's grace now. And what's more, we will be saved by God's grace forever. You see it? That's the significance of the word. We've not been saved by our own efforts, never. We are not being saved by our own efforts. We will not remain saved by our own efforts. Efforts, for by grace we have been saved, are being saved, and will eternally be saved. I think I've belabored the point quite a bit, but I want to, because too many of us are plagued by doubts about the permanence of our salvation. Folks, please understand it. If it's all based on the merits of Christ and you have received it, he doesn't withdraw it from you in spite of you. So being saved by God's grace, apart from anything we do or don't do, is really, really good news. And here's why. Uh, Warren Wearsby will tell us why. Here's what he said. Since we have not been saved by our good works, we cannot be lost by our bad works. You see how, how good, <laughs> why this is such good news. Now, I know the downside of being saved by grace is we can't take credit for it, and we hate that. I know that. But the good side of it is we can't forfeit it, as Warren Wiersbe said in such a good way. For by grace you have been saved, which leads to this question. Well, what in the world is grace? Well, I can tell you what it ain't. It isn't anything deserved or earned. So, in fact, if you... Uh, deserve it, or if you earned it, by definition, it isn't grace. By definition, grace is God's undeserved, unearned, 
unmerited favor. Uh, Here, in fact, is uh, another thought about God's grace. Because of God's grace, people who deserve hell gain heaven. That's God's grace. That's us, by the way, folks. Look around. People who deserve hell, that's us, gain heaven. That's God's grace. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're prone to resist God's grace, which is a mystery. It ought to confound us. Why would anyone resist God's grace? Well, here's why. We don't understand it. We, we, we have nothing to compare it to. There are a few parallels to it in our normal life experience. So we've grown up learning the principle of fairness, not grace. Uh, what I mean by that is this. If someone does something wrong, it's fair for that one to be punished. And if someone does something right, it's fair for that person to be rewarded. However, if someone does something wrong and in spite of it gets rewarded, or if someone does something right and gets robbed, we can't handle that because it's just not fair. You're right, but grace confounds all principles of fairness. God is not bound by principles of fairness. He operates by grace. Let me illustrate, and I know I've shared this, uh, I think, many times before, but I, I want to again because it fits. I pastored a church in Chicago a long time ago. But it was an unusual church. It was a messianic, not messy, messianic representing the Messiah, Jesus. It was a messianic congregation. What was it? It was a church made up of Jewish and Gentile believers in Christ. But the worship was in a Hebraic kind of a way. Same gospel message, same Bible, same redeemer. It was just to be culturally sensitive to a people group we were trying to reach, unsaved Jewish people. So we created a worship environment they could relate to. So it was a Messianic congregation. But because it was so unusual, uh, visitors would often ask our members, well, what kind of church is this? And they would stumble over that, not having a good answer. Uh, to the question. So I came up with this, what I thought was a brilliant idea. It wasn't so brilliant, but I tried it. I said, well, if someone asks you uh, what kind of church we are, tell them we are an anyway church. Just tell them we're an anyway church. Anyway church? What are you talking about? I said, you, you, you tell them we're a group of Jewish and Gentile people who, in spite of our perfections, have been loved and forgiven by Yeshua Jesus anyway. Just tell them that. So that's, that's kind of clever, don't you think? Well, I thought I'll really make it good. There was a very artistic young man in the congregation. And I said to him, hey, can you make a sign that says anyway on it? And then I'll post it on the, the lectern here. And then you know, people ask, anyway, what does that mean? We'll all be able to tell them. We're imperfect. We're sinners. But Jesus loves us and is willing to forgive us anyway. So that would be a good, clever thing. Can you make us a nice sign, I told him. He said, oh, sure. So he worked on it, and a couple weeks later, I, I came in, and, and there it was. There was the sign, you know, the services and session from the back. 
However, it didn't look like anyway. He got real creative. You know, artists are prone to do this. Had curly cues and stuff. So it didn't look like anyway. It looked like a hamway. So, so the idea kind of blew up. But, 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 but uh, the word anyway helps me helps me uh, wrap my mind around the concept of grace, which I don't really understand as much as I do the concept of fairness. Uh, uh, Grace means, in spite of my proclivity to sin, it is my nature. In spite of all that, uh, still God uh, is willing to, has forgiven me, has saved me, and will keep me saved throughout eternity. He has saved me anyway, that kind of thing. So that's that's the word that helps me understand uh, grace. For by grace, the text says, you have been saved. How? Through faith. Now, be careful of that one. Does that mean faith in general? I believe. No, it does not. Uh, saving faith is specific faith in the very particular and specific provision for sin, which is provided for us through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So saving faith is faith specifically placed in the specific Savior named Jesus, God's Son. That's what we're talking about. So this implies then, if you think about it, in order to be saved, you have to know something about God, and you also have to know something about yourself. Uh, So you have to know this about yourself. You have to know that you are a child of wrath. You are subject to the wrath of God. You have to know that you are spiritually dead to God in trespasses and sins. That's what you have to know about you. And this is what you have to know about God. You have to know that he is uncompromisingly holy and just. And that therefore he will hold us accountable for our trespasses and sins. Furthermore, you have to know that God, by grace, sent a substitute, none other than Jesus, his son, for our sin. So then, to be saved, we must know certain facts about ourselves in Jesus. That's the first thing. Second, we must agree that these facts are true And third, see, so far that's not enough. This is the clincher. We must place our personal faith in these facts. You see, that's what it is to be saved. Let me illustrate. There was a missionary named John Payton. He was a Bible translating missionary to people in the South Sea Islands some time ago. He went there to provide the uh, word of God in the language of the people so that they could access it in their own language. But he was unable to find a word equivalent to faith in their language. Very important, for by grace you've been saved through faith, but he couldn't find a word that would communicate that concept to them. He really was stuck over it all. But one day... One of the people living there on the island, for whatever reason, charged in to the missionary's study and plopped himself down on a 
a very comfortable upholstered chair in the missionary study. And the man said in his native language, it is so good to rest my whole weight on this chair. And John Payton suddenly, by God's grace, realized that's how I will translate the word faith for these people. And so this is, was his translation. Faith is resting your whole weight on Jesus, God's provision for our sin. Brilliant translation. And many of those people on that island, after having read this, came to faith in the Lord Jesus. Faith is putting your whole weight on God for your salvation. It's not your church attendance. It's not living by the golden rule. It's not your rich religious tradition. It's not your New Year's resolutions. It's not your good intentions. It surely is not your so-called good deeds. No, faith is resting your whole weight on Jesus alone, God's provision for our sin. So saving faith is personally trusting Jesus and of what he did on the cross for our eternal salvation. So we should make no mistake about it. Paul, in this text Stella has offered, makes it very clear. We don't get credit for our faith, on the other hand. Be careful about this. You don't get points for your faith with God. You don't get a pat on the back. Faith is not meritorious on, on your part. Faith is not an act or a work that earns credit with God so that he rewards you with salvation. Uh, think of this. Uh, we are not saved by our faith. We are saved by God's grace through our faith. Can you see the difference? It's just a couple words, but it's huge. We don't contribute in any measure. To our salvation, some would say, well, sure you do. You have to place your trust in Jesus. And some people take that to be a work they ought to be rewarded for. No, no, no. Any more uh, than the recipient of a gift ought to be praised. No, no, no. The giver of the undeserved gift gets the praise, not the recipient of it. The recipient offers gratitude. That's all there is to it. So... The text says, for by grace uh, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Now, we hate that. Don't tell me we don't. In fact, that one reality has given rise to the world's thousands of religions. This concept that our salvation is not of ourselves is so antagonistic and threatening to human pride uh, that uh, throughout human history, people have created religions based on a set of do's and don'ts and requirements, the doing of which are our contribution to our own salvation. And so you constantly hear in various places in so many words, you're saved by faith plus. Once you see plus on the occasion, run. Whether Even if it's something in the Bible, you're saved by faith plus baptism. Run. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism proclaims to witnesses 
that God saved you, not by baptism, but by grace. Can you see the difference? So, so these words, not of yourselves, are, are absolutely huge. They fly in the face of human thinking. How could we not have a part in our own salvation, folks? That's the reality of these two verses. We do, we do not. It's not God's way. For by grace, the text says, you've been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works. Why not? So that no one may boast. Folks, if any of us could earn our salvation by our good works, I'll tell you what we would do. We would spend eternity bragging about it. That's how we'd spend our eternity. But you can't. The nature of faith is purely by God's grace. We access it through faith by his grace. It's entirely his doing that none of us has any grounds to boast. So we who are saved have nothing to boast in except, oh my goodness, what a savior we have. To do this for ones such as us. So it is not our many, even good works that save us. It is uh, his one redemptive work that saves us. In fact, here's what uh, D.L. Moody, you've heard of D.L. Moody. Here's what uh, this great man had to say about it. He said the thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work. And a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or foot toward his salvation. And yet Christ offered him the gift of God. And he took it. Boy, that's great. That's grace. That's the gospel. You can't add to it. Don't do it. Folks, these two verses that Stella uh, so wisely offered to us, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, are the verses that distinguish Christianity from all world religions. Because these two verses declare rescue from the wrath of God is by, this is important, by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Can I tell you what I just did? I just gave you the theology of the reformers. You've heard of the Reformation? Now, I do this with some trepidation because there's such controversy in our churches today over uh, the teaching of some of the reformers. For instance, Calvinism. Uh, you know, John Calvin was one of the great reformers. He has certain points of view, and others have different points of view. And other reformers were Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and so on and so forth. Oh, I'll tell you the emergency. John Mark's phone just went off right there. I promise not to embarrass John Mark more than I should. I just wanted you, in case you're wondering, uh, I wanted you to know that was John Mark's phone that just went off. And I don't want you to take it out on Laurie. It's not Laurie's fault. She has to bear her burden. And his name is John Mark. Anyway, he, he love you, brother. Good, good, good to see you for the last time. So, 
So, so folks, uh, I don't think we need to divide over, you know, to Reformation theology. Um, uh, if you are a Protestant, meaning your a religious tradition is not from the Catholic Church, I mean no offense, I'm just making a statement. If, you're, if your religious tradition is based on the Protestant Reformation, do you remember when in the 1500s Martin Luther uh, put on the, Witten, the church at Wittenberg on the door 95 theses he put? He was a Catholic monk, but he read Romans. And he read Romans 1.16. And, he, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Holy Toledo. Things are going crazy here. Uh, uh, no, no, it wasn't mine. Uh, no, I'm telling you. I don't know whose phone that is. I've never seen that in my <laughs> I've never seen John Mark so excited in a church worship service. Really good. So, so uh, he... He put the 95, they're brilliant, they're magnificent, and basically he was trying to, Reformation means reform the direction of the then uh, mainstream Catholic Church. Basically, it was a call to get back to the Bible, is what, you know, what it was. Really magnificent. So, wherever you stand on the Calvinism issue and all that stuff, you need to know you're tied to the Protestant Reformation, you follow Reformation theology. We are all part of the Reformation, only to different extents and degrees. Let's not demonize that term. I just don't think things have been reformed enough. We've got to keep reforming church tradition to make sure we get back to, to the text of Scripture, which is authoritative, not church tradition. But these three alones are some of the Reformation solas, they call it, sola. On, sola fide, only faith, those kinds of things. And uh, not only are those concepts to be avoided by those of us here who may be non-Calvinists, don't be afraid of the solas. They're beautiful. There's about five of them. I just gave you three of them here. Would you dare object to these? Salvation is uh, by his grace, sola, alone. It, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 9 just told us. Uh, furthermore, it's through faith alone. And uh, finally, it's in Jesus Christ alone. So I personally am grateful for the Reformation fathers who returned us to the simple and pure gospel message which we find here in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, verses 8 and 9. Now I want to end with a story. Uh, this is a true story. Not everything I tell you is, but this, this, this happens to be. It's about a family, the Jones family. Now, we have wonderful Jones family, a few Jones families here. I'm not talking about them. This is a different Jones family, the dad of whom is a man named Timothy Paul Jones, an author, quite a successful author. Timothy Paul Jones tells this true story. Uh, the Joneses decided to adopt an eight-year-old girl who had previously been adopted by another family, but it didn't work out. Uh, bad things happened in that first family. For instance, when that first family decided to take their biological children on a 
vacation to Disney World, places like that, for whatever reason, they chose not to take this adopted little girl with them. They uh, found her lodgings with a friend in the neighborhood while, while they went off. Can you imagine being that girl? What was she to conclude about this? Well, um, she decided there must be something wrong with me. I am a bad person. That's why they did not take me to Disney World. Well, by God's grace, she was adopted the second time by the Jones family, who were entirely different, Christian and quite loving. And when they found out about what she had experienced, they made it their business to plan a family trip to Disney, not Disneyland, Disney World. That's where they were going to go. Well, this eight-year-old knew about it, but it's just hard. The whole concept, when you're thinking that you're damaged goods and you're junk and nobody could love you and therefore nobody will do any good by you, you try to live consistently with that. And so a month before the time when the family, Jones family, was to go to Disney World, she acted out like never before. She became violent. She stole. She, she was quite dis, disruptive the month leading up to the trip. Well, it required that the parents speak into her life. And so the dad lovingly sat her uh, down and, to discipline her. And she said, I, I, I know what you're going to do. You're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? See, she thought that would be the expected outcome. So the dad, Timothy Paul Jones, looked her in the eye and said, is this trip something we are planning to do as a family? And with tears in her eyes, the little girl said, yes. And then the dad said, are you part of this family? And, and, and she nodded, yes, again. And then he said quite clearly and emphatically, then you are going with us to Disney World. And so off to Disney World, the entire family went. And at the end of the first day of fun, the dad uh, sat the little girl down. He prayed with her and he, he hugged her and he inquired of her day. How was your day at Disney World? And here's what she said. She said, Daddy, I finally... Uh, this makes me cry. Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That's the gospel message. That's the message given to us by our heavenly daddy. You're going to go to heaven. We're doing this as a family. Aren't you through faith? A part of the family? Yes, Daddy. Well, then we're going to go to heaven together. But it is not because you are good. It is because you are mine. Let me emphasize it with these closing words. Salvation, folks, is not the gift received by being good. It is the gift received by being God's. And you come to be a child of God the Father, through faith in Jesus, his Son. 
I hope you have accepted Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Him alone, by his grace alone, through your faith, through your trust alone, for the entirety of your salvation from now until forevermore. If you're troubled about that or confused, I'd love to chat with you as we prepare to take leave of one another. I'm grateful for trips to Disney World. I understand that's a fun thing. But our Abba Father is prepared to take us home to heaven one day. Only don't lay claim to it. <laughs> and even before you or I get there, even if we act out like this little girl, putting God to the test, can you forgive and love even one such as me? Please remember the story. Oh, yeah. Are you part of the family? We're going to heaven. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Stella. Thank you for her rich religious tradition, her Catholic background. Thank you for her devotion and dedication to you as a nun. She had a heart for you from early on. Thank you for bringing her here to Houston, where she heard the gospel years ago and realized that her quest for heaven was over. She found her rest by resting her entire weight on you and your merits, not her own. Thank you for saving her to the uttermost. Thank you for wonderful Marty, her husband, who's gone before her. Thank you for a great reunion to follow, maybe soon, when you return for us. Not one of your kids, even the most vile and disobedient, left behind. For we don't get to heaven by any goodnesses in us. We get to heaven because we are yours. By your grace, through faith in Jesus, your Son alone. Simple, powerful, eternal life changing. Thank you, O oh God, for the gospel message. That's what this is, which is your power to save us. You have. And now we pray you would put it within us to share it with others that they too might be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being so good, so gracious to us. Thank you for not being fair to us. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve, but instead giving us Jesus. We don't deserve you, Lord Jesus, but we have you. And you have us now and forevermore. For this we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.